Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast, where we discuss the sermon, theological ideas, and how to live for a story larger than ourselves. I'm Matt Cabot, an elder at Grace South Bay and host of the podcast. Today, we continue our discussion in a series called Letters from John That You May Know. In a sermon titled Test and See, Pastor Stephen discusses how to distinguish truth from error as we recognize those who are from God versus those who are from the world. We'll talk about that and more on today's podcast. We're in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 through chapter 4, verse 6. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Glad to do this again with you here. Yeah, it's fun. So uh, your sermon and the scripture passage it's based on is designed to help Christians separate truth from falsehood. Now, now this may seem like an obvious question, but um, how would you define truth? Yeah, good thing we're starting off easy. What is truth? Simple question, no no problem. (laughs) Um, Now, obviously, that's we could go in a philosophical direction and talk about truth and what it means and ultimate truth and objective truth, all this kind of stuff, but I'm not the person to have that conversation with. This is not the time uh, for that. So let's focus on what John means when John is talking about truth. I think that's really helpful for us. Sounds good. Um, And he's writing to a church, right, that has been approached by some false teachers uh, teaching uh, a gospel that sounds similar to what the apostles had delivered to this church but actually isn't. And so John is focusing in on the truth of the gospel, the message that the gospel brings, uh, which is restoration and healing and peace through, as John says, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. And as I said in the sermon, right, that it's not just the truth of the incarnation, right? John isn't just saying that's the only important thing. It is incredibly important, very important, that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, became man, took on flesh, But more than that, what John has in mind is the truth that Jesus' incarnation had a purpose. It had a goal, and that goal was our salvation, our redemption, our restoration. So when John states the truth here, as Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he's referring to Jesus' incarnation, his life of perfect obedience, his crucifixion, his resurrection. They're all necessary, and they are the true and only way for us to be reconciled to God. So how would you respond to someone who said, well, that's your truth, but it's not my truth. Are we talking about the same thing here? Yeah, I hear that sometimes in conversations or in debates or whatever, but I think more likely I see it like in Facebook comment threads. People mm-hmm. kind of throw that in there. Um, and the way I receive it, I think it's uh, talking past each other. We're talking past each other at this point. I don't read those comments or hear those comments as someone saying, I have tested what you're saying and found it to not be objectively true. Hmm. Uh, I hear the person saying that, meaning I choose not to have that as the guiding principle of my life, right? I'm not going to base my thoughts and my feelings and my actions on this death and resurrection of Jesus. You can do that, but I'm not going to do that. Hmm. So um, someone might say, as long as we're sincere in our faith that it doesn't really matter what we believe in. How would you respond to that? I would respond by saying, yes, it matters a lot what your faith is in. Being sincere is important, and it's valuable, certainly, but all faiths are trying to achieve the same thing. They acknowledge that there's something lacking or there's missing uh, or is broken about us. We're not the way we should be or the way we could be. And so those faiths are... 
uh, trusting in some form of healing or some type of restoration or reconciliation to maybe a, a personal deity or all of humanity or the universe or, or whatever. Now, Jesus agrees with those things, right? Jesus says there is something wrong with humans. We have fallen short. There is something broken about us, and it needs to be fixed in order for us to uh, be reconciled to God, to come back into the relationship uh, with God who made us. John records for us in his gospel account in chapter 14, verse 6, that Jesus says, I am that way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So having sincere faith in anyone or anything other than Jesus, and again, as he says, Jesus' incarnation, life of perfect obedience, his death and resurrection, having faith in anything other than that will never reconcile you to God. Mm-hmm. It just can't. So um, we're hitting on some of the, the top ideas about what truth is, but what about this idea that, that the truth is inside us? If you look deep inside, you'll find the truth. Yeah. My gut reaction is to say, that's absolutely ridiculous. Take a look at your life. Look at the, the history of your actions, the way that you think, the way you behave. Um, I don't have any reason to believe that I, Stephen Chitty, could ever produce some kind of truth that will help me become a better person. I have no proof of that. Yeah, me either. I, I quoted a, a good pastor friend of mine in my sermon, Matt Hamm, uh, who's a pastor in Charlotte, and he put it this way in a sermon once, and I think it's, it's incredibly insightful. If you are the greatest common denominator of all your problems, hmm. you certainly can't be the solution. Hmm. Now, I do think there's some merit to the idea of looking inside, because if you look inside honestly, and you get to this place where you say, I can't do anything to fix myself, it's going to make you look for a truth outside of yourself. And so, you know, someone might say, look inside for the truth. If they're meaning you will find the truth inside yourself, you will find healing and reconciliation and peace inside yourself. Unfortunately, they're wrong. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. But if you're looking inside yourself and you find, I can't do anything about my condition, my brokenness, my problems, it's going to lead you outward. And that will hopefully through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, leads you to Jesus to find that he is the peace and the reconciliation and restoration you're looking for. This passage makes a distinction between those who are from the world and those who are from God. How can we tell? Yeah, this is John's whole point in this passage. Um, he says we can't just absorb the teaching of every voice that comes along, right? We can't just fall in line behind the next big thing. Uh, that the media presents, or that uh, the Christian speaking circuit presents, or whatever it is, right? The next great podcast. Maybe this one. Maybe this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have to test those voices. We can't just accept them. And he talks about these false teachers that have come into the congregation of his church, and he encourages his congregation to pay attention, first and foremost, to whom those teachers point. Um, he says, are they talking about themselves? Are they talking about their own abilities? Are they talking about the truth? Jesus, who took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve to die, and rose again. Are they pointing to Jesus? If they're not, they're not from God, right? But he also says, as I kind of unpackaged a little bit, this test looks like understanding where these teachers have come from. 
Um, these uh, teachers in John's time were part of the gospel community, but then they left, and they didn't go to another apostolic church, another church started by an apostle who had heard Jesus, seen Jesus, watched him die, and experienced, talked to him, and ate lunch with him after he rose from the dead. They went to another place where Jesus wasn't. And so when they come back, they're not coming from a Jesus-filled community, which means they're not going to be able to teach about Jesus. And so he tells us and he tells the congregation, where are they coming from? If Jesus isn't there, if that's not the, the, the hallmark of the community they're coming from, be aware, be, be on guard from what they're saying. And then, of course, he ends by saying, who's listening to them? He says, these teachers that have come from the world, they're not from God, and the world listens to them. And it, like I said in the sermon, it's not about the makeup of their audience so much as the transformation of their audience. Are the people listening to this teacher being transformed into the image of Jesus? Are they beginning to love their neighbors and other people rather than looking to gain something from them? Are they sacrificing for other people? Are they, as John said previously in his letter, practicing righteousness by confessing and repenting when they fail, when they hurt other people? and forgiving people who hurt them, right? The transformation is not because they're teaching such a great thing, but because they're from God. They're teaching the truth about Jesus. Jesus fills their audience, and Jesus is changing their audience. So he says, put that to the test. Right, so there's false teachers back then, but but the, the passage still applies to us today, right? There yeah. Are there false teachers today, and I'm not asking necessarily for, for names, but who are they in general? Sure, yeah, good thing. No names. Uh, <laughs> I don't need uh, more hate mail. Um, you know, honestly, Matt, there's nothing new under the sun, as the book of Ecclesiastes said. Uh, I think a good way to say it is that the false teachers of John's day are still the false teachers today. They've just repackaged, renamed, but it's the same uh, substitute truths that they're proclaiming, right? People uh, substitute self-understanding of God or self-realization, right? People who say something to the effect of, I feel God telling me to do this. And I, I know that's not necessarily what the Bible says, but I felt this for so long, so that must be true. Or uh, teachers who use biblical language or, or Christian lingo to couch worship of self, right? I think we've seen in the last 20 years, an incredible rise uh, in megachurches that are nothing more than cults of personality. Mm-hmm. They're all centered around the, the leader of the church, and if that leader left, things would fall apart. Or prosperity gospel preachers. Uh, this is just so attractive to us because we all want more. We all mm-hmm. want to see uh, physical blessing in our lives, and these prosperity gospel preachers come and say, God's plan is to bless your life and make your dreams come true here and now. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not the truth that Jesus proclaimed. There's a whole host of others, right? We could sit here for hours and talk about all the substitute truths that are being preached out there. But it comes back to what John said. If they're not constantly proclaiming Jesus' incarnation, his perfect, obedient life, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, then it's not the truth. And, and even Christians who are dedicated to following Jesus uh, might be inclined to follow a false teacher, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to look on the surface and say, well, those people are so absurd. Hmm. I would never follow someone who says such ridiculous things, right? And I would never be duped by them because I know that it's wrong. And hopefully that's true. 
But I think the reality is John is talking about uh, false teachers who aren't necessarily out there trying to trick people. Um, for us today, it's not necessarily the people who are, are spouting absurd ideas, but it's people who are well-intentioned but self-deceived. That's the way one of the mm. commentators mm. I read put it, well-intentioned um, but self-deceived. And I think that's one reason we're liable to fall into, the, into line with one of these false teachers, because when someone approaches you out of sincerity and conviction, uh, we want to believe them. There's something powerful about someone who says, I've done the work of looking into this, mm. and I've landed on this truth. We want to believe that. We want to fall in line with sincerity. The problem is they might be self-deceived, right? They might think that they're following the truth, but in reality, they're not. Their sincerity wins us over. But I think another reason we might be tempted to follow a false teacher is because a lot of these uh, false truths, these substitute truths, um, pick at our idolatry of self. They pull us out of the, the needy portion of the gospel, and they put us in the driver's seat in some way. Maybe it's an emotionally riveting service, and it makes us feel just charged up, and, and that's really what it's all about. Like, we feel powerful, or we feel connected, or whatever it is. They exalt our experience, or our knowledge, or our abilities, and we're all prone to love a pat on the back. And if somebody comes along and says, man, you just, you know the Bible so well, yeah, God loves you because you know the Bible so well. That's not the truth. Right. But man, doesn't it feel good. Yeah, and, and it seems like, too, that, that a lot of the false teachers are trying to round the rough edges off of Christianity, going to the things that, that sound good. Your life will be better. Mm. But they kind of ignore the, the passages that say, you know, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, which is not a very easy message to get across. And it seems like, uh, but that's what people want to hear, right? Yeah, absolutely. People... Um we all struggle day in and day out in our lives. Work is hard. Relationships are hard. Um, if, if you got a family, parenting is hard. Um, not having a family is hard. Not having a marriage is hard. Losing friends, losing family to death or illness, like life is hard. And so why not go to a place where the hard stuff is kind of rounded down, yeah. where it is a little softer, where it is a little bit of a rah-rah encouragement. Mm -hmm. um, man, I just need a pick-me-up every now and then. Right. And that's, you know what? That sells. It does sell. And unfortunately, though, what I've seen, when people are introduced to the Christian faith in that way, it's like a bait-and-switch because they become a Christian and they're, they're told, your life is going to be great. And when their life isn't great, all of a sudden they're thinking, well, this whole Christian thing, I don't. I, I think I was sold a bill of goods. It's not doing what it was promised to do. Sure, and yeah. and you know, like I think we we definitely need to make a distinction between people who are standing up front on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whatever it is, saying your life is going to be great, mm -hmm. and uh, places of worship where Sunday is the main event and then there's no connection the rest of the week. Because what happens is you're filled up, you're encouraged, you're, you're electrified on Sunday morning, but then Monday morning you have to go and deal with a sick parent, mm -hmm. or you have to go to a, war, a, you know, a job, a, a workplace where um, life is really tough. And if there isn't any kind of connection with a truth-centered, gospel-centered, Jesus-focused community, mm -hmm. 
um, then your 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 faith, right? Your walk with Jesus is just a Sunday morning thing. That's not how he talks about it. That's not how we at Grace talk about it. That's not what the Christian community is called to be. It's called to bear each other's burdens, to walk alongside each other, to celebrate and mourn together. Uh, and that's all, uh, the, the connection there is all around Jesus. It's not around our own effort, or our own understanding. It's around the fact that Jesus celebrated with people. Jesus wept with people. Jesus then went and died on the cross and rose again for those people. Well, let's talk about that. Um, You said in your sermon that anybody or anything that is not pointing toward Jesus is pointing you away from Jesus. Can you unpack that? Sure. I think it's an issue of worship. We all worship things, no matter what, no matter uh, if it's uh, an animate object or it's the beauty of creation, whatever it is, we worship and the question becomes, uh, what is the focus of your worship? In his book, um, You Are What You Love, James K. Smith talks about this, how our, our lives begin to take the shape of what is most important to us. Right? We form habits and attitudes and patterns that cause us to take on the likeness of whatever it is we love. So if you're constantly being pointing, pointed excuse me, to something other than Jesus— your life is going to take the shape and form and pattern of that thing, right? Yourself, for instance, if you uh, decide that you are the arbiter of truth and you get to decide what's best for your life, you're going to be di- begin to dictate what work and rest looks like for you. Mm-hmm. You're going to uh, be the one that decides how you deal with failure, how you define failure, uh, how you define how you should treat others. And, and what happens is you begin to curve away from Jesus and toward yourself, right? Because you're the center of your world. You're the decision maker. You're the the definer of everything, and you curve inward on yourself, which is exactly how Martin Luther described our sinful state, curved in upon ourselves. It would seem to me that that anybody who's lived long enough would recognize that's not a very good philosophy. I mean, to, to say that we are the arbiter of all these things, I would say to someone, how's that working for you? Because what I have found, when I'm in charge and I'm, I'm in going my own way, it does not work out well. The, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> That's the problem, right? Yeah. We, uh, if you've tried to live this way, whether you are doing it consciously or subconsciously, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out. The problem is, as is the problem with all idols, they work at first. Yeah. Um, things get a little bit easier when you don't have to answer to anybody mm-hmm. at first. Um, when you begin to decide what your life looks like, what you should follow, what you should think, how you should behave, it begins to make things a lot more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But then when the struggles of life come on, when things begin to get hard, when things begin to get challenging, when you're challenged by someone else about how your rules and your life and your laws and all the things you, you've set up for yourself begin to affect them and impact them, that's when the weight of responsibility for your happiness, for your success, for your failure that you've put on yourself, it comes crashing down on your shoulders and becomes unbearable. So I'm wondering about the idea of how uh, apathy might affect our spiritual life. Because there is a, a notion here that you're supposed to do something, test and see, and sure. but some people just don't care. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing with apathy. In a sneaky way, it seems less caustic than just flat-out rejecting the truth, right? Mm-hmm. I still believe in Jesus and the Bible and all that kind of stuff, but this is just like I'm, I'm taking a step back. 
I'm taking a step back from worrying about uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm just not going to spend so much time focusing on that. Uh, it, it makes it softer, makes it easier. It, it, in reality, what it is, though, isn't an idolatry of mental or emotional energy or comfort. Right? What we're really saying is, I don't want to spend the time thinking about why I do what I do. Um, maybe we say it's it's too confusing to get into the the weeds of my motivations, the reasons mm-hmm. behind my thoughts, however you want to say it. In the end, though, if you are not seeing, if you're not going to spend the time to see how Jesus is impacting your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, how he's changing you, then you're also not going to see or worry about how your sin is bending your thoughts or your actions or your emotions and it's just going to take over because we're naturally inclined to sin. That's who we are as humans. Right. right. How do we cultivate an ability to distinguish between truth and error? Isn't this sort of the, the heart of this passage? Yeah. Yeah. And and this is where spiritual disciplines come in in, in handy. Not handy. This is they're fundamental, right? God mm-hmm. has given us these practices, these rhythms that draw us closer to Him. Um, and as we said at the beginning of the podcast and in the sermon, he is the truth, right? Jesus mm-hmm. taking on flesh, living a perfect life, being crucified, dying, rising from the dead. That is the truth. And so spiritual um, practices that draw us closer to God that he has given us, like prayer, like joining in worship, like fasting, um, things that uh, that he has given us, and you know, I've said that a couple times now, uh, things that he calls us to do right. um, draw us closer to him. And knowing the truth is really important. Uh, for example, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Knowing the truth is important knowing it in a personal relationship with God, drawing closer to Him, knowing it as He revealed it to us in His Word, reading your Bible. Now, this takes time, right? Mm-hmm. This is not like, hey, I've read the Bible this year, so now I know it and I understand right. all truth. And so because of that, God has placed each of us in communities, in families, in churches, where truth and sounds like truth but is actually not truth can be mm-hmm. wrestled with and worked out. Right? He calls us to be open to receive the, the encouragement and the critique of other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ telling us, hey, you're actually living according to a not-truth. Right. You think that this is good and, and, and following Jesus, but in reality, you're, you're walking away from him in this. And we're, we're to receive that, and we're to be living life together enough to notice when others are falling in line with a substitute truth. And it seems like one of our, the things that our church does really well is community. Uh, we've got community groups, and this yes, this is a plug for our community groups to join one. Life on life, uh, that's where it happens. There's no such thing as a, a lone ranger Christian, as we used to say. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm glad we're able to do this, right? This is this the nature of this series is that you may know, and that you may know what you believe changes the way we live, right? Absolutely, and this yeah. is uh, f- the fundamental truth of the whole of Scripture mm. that Jesus took on flesh, lived a perfect life, was crucified, and then he rose again for us. And if that's the heartbeat of your life, you'll know when you see something different. Amen, brother. Let's end it there. Thanks again, Stephen. Thanks, Matt. All right, take care.
Grace South Bay Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose, California. You can listen to our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. Thanks for listening.